Shut up and sit down. Oh, shit. Back at it again. What's up, guys? Welcome to the show. We are bringing you episode 40 today, and we are we are celebrating not only that we've made it to 40 episodes, because that's a nice little landmark. That's a nice little milestone. I didn't think, you know, when we started doing this that we'd get there, but this isn't about me. This is about some recent news that has been announced in the last couple of days that shows that there is light at the end of the tunnel, whereas reasonable critical consideration for quality of life are concerned. And what I mean specifically by that is the recent announcement by the home office to grant Billy Caldwell uh, an emergency license to reinstate his medical cannabis treatment, um, which, as you know, if you've listened to the show before, helps with Billy's uh, severely aggressive uh, epilepsy. So after much suffering and the fact that, you know, once his medication was taken away at the airport uh, by security, Billy's condition got uh, increasingly worse where to the point where he was hospitalized. And after an emergency meeting, it was shown that the, cl- the clinician's recommendation was to reinstate his medicine immediately and therefore the license was processed. And it's a real goddamn shame that we had to get to that point, but we're here now, he's getting his treatment, he's already improved as everybody on you know, the pro side of this argument uh, would have understood and would have realized and would have expected. Um, but now we've got real proof that the government can see. And the The Home Office and the Home Secretary, uh, Sajid Javid, um, has seemed to come around on this uh, quite quickly, which is really positive and really encouraging, and bolstered more so by the fact that now they've also issued a license for Alfie Dingley to receive his medication as well. So in the last week, we've received great news that both of these uh, little boys are going to be receiving the treatment and the medication that they need and that they know and has proven to work and to help alleviate their symptoms uh, from what is just an awful, awful affliction. The home office, uh, specifically Sajid uh, Javid, has come out now and called for a full inquiry into the legalization or the potential legalization of cannabis for medical usage which is fantastic. I hope this is expedited and done in a really efficient and effective manner because Alfie and Billy are now in a lot better place than they were 24, 48 you know, hours ago. But let's not forget that there are hundreds of thousands of people in this country suffering unnecessarily because of the laws that we still have in place. And this review is a good step forward, most certainly a good step forward. 
But what we don't need is the debates I'm seeing on the BBC right now with people who are just uneducated and want to give conflated opinions on what they think the detriments of marijuana are. And specifically, I'm talking about uh, the show Victoria Live uh, on BBC, which is on every morning. They had a panel of about 10 people on the show yesterday discussing this recent announcement, the recent medication, and they had uh, the guy who runs the UK Cannabis Social Clubs, they had uh, an ex-police officer, some some XMPs, etc. <clears throat> the panel was overwhelmingly, I think 100% in favor of legalizing this for uh, medical reasons, and about 50% of the panel was for legalizing cannabis for recreational reasons. The half of the panel that weren't for it recreationally really gave no solid reasons or evidence or justification why they thought that other than the facts that are being contributed to the cannabis industry under the current prohibition. So what I mean by that is they're talking about violence and they're talking about crime and they're talking about uh, quality and the dangers of consuming what you don't know, right? And these are they're putting these problems on the side of if it becomes legal for recreational consumption, we're going to have these problems. Not understanding that the only reason that those problems exist are because of the prohibition behind cannabis. And once it has legislation and reform and accountability and legislation behind it, all of those things will dissipate almost to an effect of 100%. You're always going to have a black market. Just like you have a black market for retail, you have a black market for prescription drugs, hell, like anything you want to think of, there is a black market for it. That's never going to go away. However, it will be severely diminished once the legalization uh, bill is in play. And Javid has come out and said that this is, you know, although he's calling for a review on the medical usage and the medical, you know, side of cannabis, this is not a step towards legalizing it recreationally. And I just want to kind of throw that back at him because although I'm very encouraged by the steps that he's taking, and I understand why he might be posturing towards the recreational side of it, which is a good thing from an argument's point of view because you have to draw that clear line in the sand or else people look at it as like a quote-unquote slippery slope. However, it is absolutely a step towards recreational legalization because the evidence will support all of the claims that we already know that it's safe, that it does not cause schizophrenia, that it does not have this blowback negative um, reaction to it when made legal for recreational purposes. It just doesn't. And if you're making people comfortable with it as a medicine, the next step is, well, we're using it as medicine and we're using it in ever increasing cases 
of medical application without side effect, without detriment, without catastrophe, what is the risk to public to the public at, as a whole if it's not causing any adverse side effects? If we notice that the illegitimate side of the business would be removed, which is absolutely going to be the case, and there is evidence for that both in America and Canada and Holland, etc. Portugal, Spain. We are absolutely moving towards full legalization. It is an inevitability, but let's take it one step at a time. And as I've said to you guys on this podcast before, these are always the natural steps towards full legalization. You have to warm them up, tickle the balls a little bit, get them comfy with what you're playing with, and then grab the cock and fucking ram it home. And that's the way, that's the way it always goes. You gotta warm them up first. You gotta warm up the conservative naysayers who speak from an inexperienced point of view, from a, you know, probably never having smoked it, or, you know, hearing one bad case and drawing a blanket opinion over the whole entire industry. You know, these are the things that happen and these are the minds that need to come around to change. Or they don't and they phase out and it just becomes such an overwhelming majority of people that understand, listen, this is bullshit. The prohibition needs to end. All of the negative aspects around this plant are from the prohibition. And once we remove that, most of the negative aspects of this go away. They just need to see that. And what happens when their doctor starts saying, maybe this is the best course of action for you. Instead of taking these pills, maybe you should try this oil. Instead of taking paracetamol for joint pain or inflammation, ibuprofen for inflammation, why not try this topical CBD oil? Or why not take this CBD uh, pill? And it's not a blanket solution and cause uh, and um, and uh, fix for everything with everybody. That's not the case. But it may be the case for a whole lot of people that don't actually know about it right now. Or even if they do, won't go about finding it illegally or exploring methods of, of acquisition simply because it's illegal. Some people will just avoid it. And again, we're talking about quality of life. So we need to be real careful, but I'm encouraged by the steps that um, Sajid Javid has made. And we should all be encouraged by that because this is always going to be a baby steps type of process. But we took a huge huge step forward this week because it's a precedent they've done it now and these kids are showing marked improvement already Alfie's mom was on the news last night saying now my son can go to school he can socialize he can go out he can have sleepovers he can have a girlfriend he can you know I mean he's six years old but she's extrapolating for the future whereas his life before was wait for a seizure go to the hospital, hospital, be pumped full of steroids, recover from that, start, you know, continue doing irreparable damage to his nervous system and to his mental health and to his uh, mental functionality and capacity. Like he's just, 
under the current protocol and under the current treatment, he is being killed. Now he's not. And that is only a positive thing that is now potentially on the table very, very soon for hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people who are suffering. They showed on that Victoria Live a gentleman who was, I think, 50-odd and had Parkinson's. And he was like, I get it off the street because I have to. Because once I went to America and saw how it helped, it sorted my shakes out, my tremors out from Parkinson's in 10 minutes. And you guys can YouTube stuff like this to see the effects of it. But this is a 50-year-old man that can't function normally on any other medication other than this. Yet we, you know, are still stuck in the Stone Age, yet climbing through the mud to get ourselves out of it. They had a calling from a woman who was 70 years old, been smoking it for 50 years, and she's like, what's the problem? <laughs> what's the problem? You know, the ones that know, know, and the ones that don't will find out but I'm just glad that we've got a home secretary in place that is at least willing to take the review. Now we need an efficient, effective process that is going to allow clear, unbiased evidence to shine through. Because if that happens, we got a win on our hands, undoubtedly. But if special interests creep in, if GW Pharmaceuticals has a problem with potentially opening up this market, who already have political clout, we could have a problem. We need this clean. We need this efficient. And we need this to be honest. Because that's all, that's all this takes to win, is a bit of honesty, a bit of transparency, and a bit of fact. Remove the conjecture, remove your opinions, and just go off of the facts. And if we do that, We'll be in a really, really good position really, really soon. And despite the posturing, we will be one step closer to having one of our more positive human rights handed back over to us because you should never be told as a citizen what you can and cannot put in your body. They can give you all the advice you want, right? But if you want to go and eat McDonald's every single day and give yourself cancer, you should be allowed to do that. And if you want to go to the supermarket and buy 100 cans of Coke and drink them all at once, you should be able to do that. Nobody should tell me when I can go down to the shop and buy a pack of Mayfair cigarettes and turn half a degree to the right and then buy a fifth of whiskey, take that home, consume it all, give myself cancer and cirrhosis, that I shouldn't be able to come home and smoke a joint after work if I want to. So I'm encouraged and I'm happy, and today we should celebrate the positive step forward, but with cautious optimism, because we're not even there we showed up in the parking lot, right? But we haven't got, we have not we have not even purchased a ticket. So we need to be cautiously optimistic, but it is cause for optimism. We will get there. Inevitably, we will get there. Because even in this day and age, when it doesn't seem like it, truth and honesty will, will prevail and will win out. And that's all we're looking at here. This is an argument 
and a debate about truth and fact versus conjecture, propaganda, and misunderstanding. So congratulations to the Caldwell family, to the Dingley family who have now uh, been given the licenses to treat their children, um, to Charlotte and Hannah who have campaigned. Um, there is a little bit of controversy around uh, Charlotte and, and her affiliation with uh, a CBD oil company. But I mean, I'm not even concerned about that shit. We're, we just need to focus on the good right now. So congratulations to them. Job well done to, um, to Sajid, the Home Secretary. And just be honest with us, mate. Be honest with us and, and we'll get there. You've got an overwhelming majority of people who want this already done for medical purposes. We're happy with that. We'll take that because, again, despite your posturing, it is a step towards full legalization. And that's exactly how it should be. There's nothing wrong with that. But let's just be honest about what we find. Let's be honest about the results. And let's be honest about how we take this thing forward because it's for the benefit, not the detriment of people. So we'll leave it there. And we'll move on because it's a tale of two woes and two uh, two sides of the coin today, right? Because super happy about this. And then we've got some other shit to talk about as well. But um, before we get into the other shit that's been happening in the wider world, um, I just want to give a shout out to some people, uh, not directly because I'm not going to name names, um, but I want to just send a shout out for the feedback that I got on episode 39 uh, where, where we talked about specifically about some things that have been happening locally in a, uh, in a now out of business gym uh, and how the conduct of that owner affected the members. Uh, some people had heard the show from the local area and reached out to me. It was overwhelmingly positive overwhelmingly supportive and thanking me for putting it out there exactly how this person had been conducting themselves and that has been exemplified by some of the actions post uh, the podcast that we did and you know it's not right when you do what this person has done and then start posting photos on your on your Instagram account of you on holiday on you know what looks to be quite a swanky holiday after you've just effectively told people that there's no money for any refunds yet you can you can fund this holiday for yourself and take a little R&R time while these people are getting you know told effectively, eh, sorry, there's no money. You know, it's a fuck you, pay me type of situation. Um, so I'm glad we did the podcast. I'm glad we talked about the situation honestly, openly, and without, without conflation. You know, there was nothing said that wasn't true. There was nothing said that wasn't honest and there was nothing said that wasn't an absolute reflection of, of the situation as it was. Um, and people that operate like that should be called out accordingly. And 
That's what the platform is for. That's what this show, you know, one of the things this show is for. If you are an unscrupulous person, if you are a person that lacks authenticity, if you're not a genuine person but appear to be, then you're a fucking liar. And you don't deserve to have people's custom. It's as simple as that. And I've been approached with some other elements around this situation and been asked for my opinion on the situation going forward. And my honest opinion was I would not touch it with a 10-foot pole because the damage that's been done reputationally is... It's 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 irreparable. You, there's no coming back from this. Not in this area. Your name is mud now in this area. And again, I don't need to call this person out by name. I don't need to call the uh, facility out by name. Everybody listening knows who I'm talking about. And the damage is done. And the the user base, the customer base, it's already been absorbed. It's already been absorbed. So, in my opinion, this case, this issue is now closed. Um, you know, all the members are now at other gyms. Uh, all of the bullshit has been exposed. And there's no need to dwell on it any further. Um, I just hope that people out there that run these sorts of operations and these sorts of businesses, I just hope that if you operate in this way, that you are a catastrophic failure because ultimately I think it's inevitable, but the sooner the better because we don't need shitheads. We don't need people that rip people off. We don't need people that are dishonest and we don't need people that are just narcissistic, all just self-consumed, just terrible, just terrible. And what, and the worst type of person is a person that is like that, that puts on a facade that says, I, I care nothing about the business of this. I'm not in it for the money. I'm just in it for you when it's the complete opposite. So anybody that does run a business like that, I hope you, I hope you get the, the fate that ultimately will befall you sooner rather than later. Um, and for those guys out there that are running great establishments, keep doing it. You'll win in the end. Just keep doing it. Passion will win out. Honesty will win out. Transparency will win out. So thank you for the support. Thank you for the feedback and the comments and the messages. Um, that is exactly why I wanted to start doing this podcast. So I appreciate it. I appreciate you guys. Um, and yeah, that one has been put to bed. So, uh, so let's talk about let's talk about what's going on in America, right? What what would an episode of the Quiet Part Loud be without hitting up America? 
right? You cannot talk about it whether you live there or not because it is consuming the news cycles, but also it's affecting people outside of its borders. America's problems are not just America's problems. And we can talk about the Kim Jong-un summit, which was a which was an absolute failure from a, from the American side because all they've ultimately done is legitim, um, legitimized a dictator, taking into account nothing about the human right violations that are going on in that country as I speak to you now, whilst they were speaking in Singapore and that have been going on in that country for decades. This is why the other presidents didn't go to the table with him or with his father, or with the grandfather. Bill Clinton did it and it fell apart because he wouldn't put human rights on the table as part of the negotiation. So just on the negotiation, a clarification on some of what was given or perceived to be given, because Trump came away from this like it was some massive win and kept shouting, They've agreed to denuclearization. They've agreed to denuclearize and blow up some of their uh, facilities, et cetera, et cetera. That's not what denuclearization means. And if he did any preparation for this meeting, he would understand that, but he didn't, so he doesn't. Denuclearization is what's been on the table since I think 1992. And all denuclearization means in terms of this negotiation between America and North Korea is that America promises not to nuke North Korea and North Korea says at some point in the future we'll get rid of our nukes. It does nothing to address it now. Nothing. So don't be confused when you hear buzzwords. Don't be confused when it sounds great. Do a little bit of research. Look into it. Because the fact that Trump went over there and had a conversation with this guy, okay, maybe it placated uh, Kim Jong-un, but it legitimized him. And that's where Trump fucked up. Because in legitimizing him, he's legitimized one of China's trade partners because they do about 90% of their entire uh, trade with China. But what Trump's done is threatened to impose $200 billion worth of tariffs on China. Right after he said he's going to bring North Korea into the global market. Well, what do you think China are going to do? They're going to squeeze North Korea. And they're going to use North Korea as a bargaining chip against the tariffs that Trump is threatening to impose. So those tariffs aren't going to work because China is more important to North Korea than America is, believe it or not. Because just because Trump says, oh, we'll bring you into the world economy, doesn't mean it's going to happen. Trump is an isolationist. 
right? Look at all the bullshit he's spouting about America first, taking them out of the TPP, taking them out of the Paris Climate Agreement, trying to break NAFTA down, right? All of these different things that Trump is implementing as unilateral and bilateral make America isolated. All of the tariffs that he's just put on uh, I say just put on. It's been about uh, two weeks now, um, but we've been we've been away and we've been a bit sparse between these episodes. So apologies for that. But when he imposed these tariffs on his allies, whilst at the same time legitimizing a dictator, he's isolating himself. He's isolating himself, and he's weakening. America's position on the global scale, on the global market, with countries like China, because you can't turn around and threaten them when they can use North Korea as a bargaining tool to negate those tariffs, if you know what I'm saying. Right? Because he's not going to he's not going to be able to impose those tariffs on China at the same time that he's trying to impose all the tariffs on his allies. So if Germany frees him out, France frees him out, UK freezes him out, um, Italy freezes him out, Canada freezes him out, Mexico freezes him out, and then China freezes him out? And, And by freeze out, all I mean is impose retaliatory measures against the administration against the country, against the workforce, against the industries uh, in question. He's going to cause so many job losses. Just ask George Bush how these tariffs went when he tried to do it. I mean, the steel industry was on its knees. We've seen this before. It doesn't work well. But we haven't seen it done to this extent with this many different countries. But to compound that by starting a dialogue and a negotiation and an, and, and, a, and, a, and an integration process with a dictator that has stronger affiliations with other countries currently and is more dependent on other countries than he is with you, that takes away a lot of your negotiating power. It takes a lot of your perspective Uh, arrangements that could be made in the future but he doesn't even understand any of this because he doesn't read he doesn't look into these things he doesn't explore the history of these discussions of these negotiations and I'm not sitting here saying like I'm some fucking foreign policy expert but at least I read newspapers and facts and reports and look back at the history of of these relationships and why these have never kind of these dots have never been connected before and all you have to do is spend about an hour reading and you kind of get the picture (coughs) so he's just massively massively overplayed the success of what the North Korea summit was because all North Korea said was, yeah, we'll, we'll keep the denuclearization thing on the table for sure. And at some point, you know, down the road, we're going to start, you know, we'll, we'll consider that. 
But Trump gave away the ability to even be prepared just in case North Korea decided to say fuck you and press the button. Because North Korea is not going to nuke America. North Korea is going to nuke Seoul. Right? That's where they're going to launch a bomb at if they were to do it. But when Trump gave up the, the, uh, the war games, he effectively said, now nah, we'll stop preparing for any of that. Our contingency plan, the, the, the preparedness that we need, nah, fuck all that, we'll stop all that. As provocative, he said, they're provocative. Yeah, they're fucking war games. They're war games and they're done all around the world. But you don't take that off the table. You lost that negotiation. America came out far worse than North Korea did. North Korea came out positive of that uh, out of that summit. I mean, he's in. I think he's. I think Kim Jong Un's in China now, being coveted by um, by, by the Chinese government, and you know he's been put on the world stage like some fucking rock star. And everybody just seems to forget that the actual penalty when you go against the regime in North Korea is that not only are you sent to a labor camp, <clears throat> but the standard KPI for punishment is that three generations of your family are sent to labor camps. He tries to wipe out your generations. Not just you, not just punish you. Because you might have had a dial, uh, a radio with a dial on it that picked up other stations. That's an offense, by the way, that will get you hard labor. It's not just you. It's your parents and your kids, or your kids and their kids, that get to come with you. There's children being born in these labor camps every day. The soldier that ran... You might remember the footage of uh, of the soldier that drove his truck up to the uh, demilitarized zone, got out and hoofed it, hauled ass to try to get across the border. And you see it on the camera, on the CCTV footage, that you know he's hauling ass up to the up to the grass there before the DMZ and gets out and just starts hauling ass with everything he's got. And then in the other camera, you see about five or six of his comrades who were once the strongest of teammates firing at him, trying to shoot him. And I think he got shot four times. And then you see out of nowhere, a soldier like prone crawling on the ground. And it's a South Korean soldier going into like the DMZ or just on the North Korean side of it to pull this guy across. Because he'd been shot. I think he lived. I think he's all right now. I think he's recovered um, or recovering still. Um, but by legitimizing a dictator, you focus more of the attention on his PR than you do on the actual problems within the country that got him and his family isolated in the first place. So I think that was a massive loss for Trump. And I think it made him look like a real fool, a really unprepared type of adolescent behavior to go in there with nothing and to come out with nothing, but having given away 
the fact that you can prepare yourself in case this madman decides to do what's in his nature pretty much. So I think that was a massive fuck up. And then, I mean, unless you've been living on fucking Mars, you'll see the human rights catastrophe that's currently unfolding, which is now, um, and I'll put this in strong quotes, been rectified. So a couple of episodes ago, we were talking about how the media will throw numbers at you, conflate them, put a story behind them, expect you to swallow them, which, you know, for the most part, people do. But we were talking about these 400, uh, 1,475 children uh, <coughs> that were separated from their family. And then, you know, and, and I clarified the point at the time that those children specifically were children that had arrived at the border alone um, and then had been placed in either in some sort of foster care with either a family member or you know another foster parent or something like that foster family and that they'd lost 1475 of these kids and that can be put down to people moving that the foster parents or the family members are potentially illegal immigrants and maybe they move to avoid ICE and, you know, you know, for different reasons, obviously. <coughs> Pardon me. But there obviously since then has been the zero policy on immigration that was um, put in place by Jeff Sessions, the attorney general of America. And the zero tolerance policy equated to if you are crossing the border and you are an illegal immigrant, you are now in criminal violation rather than civil violation. So rather than detaining you and sending you back, now you get prosecuted. Now you've committed a criminal offense. So now if you arrive at the border with children, Separate issue to the 1,475 kids that we were just talking about. If under this zero tolerance policy, you arrive at the American border as an undocumented illegal immigrant and you are not crossing at a port of entry seeking asylum, you are to be detained because you've acted criminally. And because you're going to an adult detention center, your children cannot come with you. So perhaps you've seen the footage or heard the audio in the past week of what these detention centers look like. And I'm not talking about the detention centers for the adults. I'm talking about the children. Carved out, hollowed out Walmarts that are set up with wire fences, Storm blankets, you know those like aluminum foil blankets, them strewn all over the floor. And the audio is such where there are little children asking through their tears where their dad is. Papa, from a five-year-old child. Crying because she's just been taken away from her parents. You know how many were separated since the zero tolerance policy has been in place? 
2,000 children between the ages of what I'm reading, 10 months and 16 years old. Now, if this is not a gross violation of human rights, I, I don't know what is. Separating a child from their parent in and of itself is abhorrent behavior. Now, take into account that the U.S. already has an extreme backlog in asylum-seeking uh, applications that they cannot deal with. They are under-resourced or inefficient or both, but they have a backlog. Some say that it can take up to two to three years for your asylum case to be heard. So, under the zero tolerance, your asylum-seeking application comes secondary to your criminal behavior of crossing the border illegally. Therefore, you have to go through the detention center of the criminal justice system before you can even be considered for one of the asylum seeking applications. The criminal justice system can take up to two years before your case is even heard. Never mind a decision made before your case is heard, before you see a judge. And if you've come to the border with a child, that is the amount of time you will be away from your kids. Absolute, absolute violation of human rights. And you say, well, on the flip side of that, well, these guys are crossing illegally. They're doing something that's against the law. Okay. But they're, if they can claim refugee status, that's different. But the problem is that with this zero tolerance policy that's in place, along with that comes the stipulation is on top of, it's a zero tolerance. If you are coming through a port of entry, like you should do technically, if that's how you should come to a country to claim refugee status is through an official port of entry. If you are seeking asylum due to domestic or social violence, like gang violence, fear of your life, you're being threatened, um, you know, or you're in a, you know, a, a horribly abusive relationship and you're trying, you know, which was actually the case of why I ended up in Canada in the first place, those are no longer acceptable excuses or acceptable reasons. You can now not you cannot claim any longer that you are trying to seek asylum in America because you fear for your life because of uh, gang violence, uh, criminal violence, or domestic violence. Off the table. So fuck you. If that's what you're coming with, sorry, we don't take that anymore. Beat it. I mean, how much more barbaric can we get? And this is us, right? This is us. 
Yes, it's Jeff Sessions. Yes, it's Donald Trump. Yes, it's Jeff Miller. Whatever that little fucking weasel's name is. Yes, it is Kirsten Nielsen. But it's also us, right? Yes, it's the Trump supporters. Yes, it's the people that voted for him. But it's us too, right? We are all part of this thing. What do they say? If you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. So maybe we should have done more to stop this from happening. Even though people were screaming at you out there that went the other way and put this man in power and allowed this shit to happen and transpire the way it is, putting us in the current predicament that we are in. And trust me, we are in a predicament. But this is all of us, right? We all have a collective responsibility to make sure that the world we live in is the best place it can be, to leave it better for our children than we had it given to us by our parents. We are all part of this thing. So we all in some way, shape or form have an ounce or more of responsibility to what is currently going on. So if you have sat around and if you have done nothing or if you have done less than you could have, you're allowed to get a makeup, right? You can make it up. You can start again. You can put it forward now. And you could try to make things better. You can demand, like we said before, that you you give your representative, state and local, ultimatums. You have the power. The power resides in the citizen's hands, not in the government. The government doesn't have any power if the people truly decide they don't. It's as simple as that. And perfect, perfect case and point for this is the fact that yesterday Donald Trump signed an executive order to reverse the policy of separating children from their families when they arrive at the border illegally. He came under so much pressure politically and publicly from all angles, locally, nationally, globally, everybody was on this. And so we're not having it. You know, Nikki Haley can sit there as the uh, uh, UN ambassador pulling them out of the Human Rights Council, saying it's because we want to uphold our great and strong values around human rights that we're leaving such a biased, uh, useless organization. Are you fucking kidding me? You're leaving a League of Nations which is in a council for human rights? So you can what? Do your own thing? And this is an example of your own thing? Wait until the world outcries and then you decide reluctantly to make a change to your policy? There is a warm fucking place in hell for people like Nikki Haley and Kirsten Nielsen and Jeff Sessions and Donald Trump and Sarah Sanders, who, by the way, apparently is now having a case, a case of the conscience. 
Her conscience now is apparently causing her so much stress that she doesn't know if she's going to be able to continue in the position that she's in. Because she's doing nothing but lying for a narcissistic psychopath day after day. And how much longer can she stand up there and peddle his bullshit without cracking and saying, you know what? You're fucking right. I'm a mom. What they're doing to these kids is disgusting. They should be put in jail for it. And I can't defend them anymore. That's the kind of breakdown I'm expecting one day from this fucking crazy bitch. Because you can see it in her face, man. She can't take much more. So when I read that in the paper this morning, I wasn't surprised. I was surprised it took this long. But it looks like that cold, icy heart of hers may be cracking. Maybe thawing out a little bit, but we'll see. But irregardless, if you're not part of the solution, exactly. And for too long, she's been part of the problem. But my question is, what do the Trump supporters think about this? What do his base think about this? Because... When the almighty Donald Trump makes a statement, all of these dick-riding, cock-sucking maggots are all over him. Like he's king of the world. Like he's the smartest thing that's ever walked the face of the planet. Gospel truth is what he's talking. Raising some good points is what he's doing. Is he? So you were all for it when he was separating these kids and putting them in cages and taking them away from their parents. You were all for that. So what do you think now? Are you just towing the line with whatever he says, which means that you're more focused on identity politics than you are on actual critical thinking and doing what's best for your country? How can you flip-flop like he does? How can you not recognize the flip-flop because of social pressure? How can you not understand that Donald Trump is not for anything like what your base is, what his base is. He doesn't work for poor people. He works for rich people. He doesn't give a shit what happens to these kids. He just wants to stay in power. Because the ultimate goal, like I said at the very beginning of this election, when he was sworn in, was that this is a business opportunity for him. And we're already seeing it, right? He eased up tariffs on, uh, what was it, ZTE in China? When the funding went through for an Indonesian hotel that he's going to be giving his name to? It's a business opportunity for him. He doesn't give a fuck about anybody but himself. And he's doing whatever he needs to to make that work. Because when he thinks that he's going to do something socially, this is what happens. He alienates people. He offends people. He subjugates people. So either he doesn't understand what he's saying or he's so narcissistic and psychopathic that this is just how he likes to do shit and this is what he thinks. And that would be way more detrimental than if he was just an idiot. But it's an untenable situation. 
so I'm just I'm really I'm really interested in this right it's a really fascinating thing to me because it just shows how weak his supporters are and how how malleable they are in terms of being you know coerced into thinking something and it's just the baseline stupidity type of thinking but like most of his supporters are pro-life yet they were supporting this move which is not a pro-life type of stance right you're setting these kids up to be killed and to be put in terrible terrible situations so from what i understand politically the gop has always been the uh the the party for the family and for family values well, how the fuck does that align with this policy of separating kids? And I know we've got an executive order now, but you got 2,000 kids that have already been displaced and their fucking, their family members have been put into the system. So reuniting them alone is going to be a monumental task. What are you going to do now? Because you got ICE and border control chasing people down fucking them up separating them ripping these kids from their parents hands you can google all this shit there's videos of it so what happens now how long will it take just to reunite those 2,000 kids with their families and who's going to keep tabs on it so we need to stay up on this we need to stay up on this because what's happening in America right now, and you may say, oh, this is this is a pretty, a pretty, a pretty big stretch, Daryl, but I'm gonna say something to you, all right? Do you think, do you think that the Jews were put into bricked up uh, ghettos on day one? Do you think that Auschwitz happened in the first week. That's not how this shit happens. Okay? It's it's chipping away. It's little bit by little bit. It's take two steps forward, find out what the public will accept. Once they push back, come back one step and then go two steps forward again. Come back one step because you may have gone a little too far. And then wait a little bit, wait a little bit, and then go again in two steps forward. And that's how this shit happens. Okay? Auschwitz didn't happen in a day, and Hitler didn't happen in a day. But I would encourage you to do some reading. I would encourage you to do some research. Because the rise of dictators doesn't happen overnight. But you tell me there's nothing in Trump's demeanor, behavior, attitude that shows him to be in favor of a strongman tactical way of operating. I mean, look at who he's aligning himself with. A dictator and a czar, basically. Right? He loves Putin. And now apparently he's got all the respect in the world for Kim Jong-un. I mean, that's what he said on national television. 
You know, he had to really quickly take back that statement of, oh, he's a really strong leader. You know, when he speaks, his people stand up and they pay attention and they listen. And I want my people to do that. I mean, he said it, right? He doesn't have a filter. He just talks. And if you can get through the, the, uh, the lack of economy he has in his vocabulary and just listen, you'll understand that he's not really saying anything, but he's saying a whole bunch of shit at the same time. So we need to be careful. We need to be careful because holocausts and genocides, they don't happen in a day. And they don't happen in a week or a month. All right? But once they get activated, shit can spread like wildfire. Be careful of those that alienate people and have no substance in which to back up a claim. Be careful of people that believe their own lies. Because you show me one of those people and I'll show you a bad guy. That's for sure. But we have an executive order. We'll see what transpires. Um, I just hope those kids get put back with their family, man. You know, but what we don't need are people like Ann Coulter who... Has come out and stolen the light and stolen all of the market share crazy back off Alex Jones, right? Because she's calling these kids, these 2,000 children, child actors. She's saying that they're patsies for the Democrats. She's saying that they're faking it and that they're scripting these cries and that this is nothing more than a setup scene. You know, remember Alex Jones is being sued by the parents of the Sandy Hook uh, mass shooting because he said those kids were child actors. Well, if I was a representative league of, um, of Central or South Americans or Peruvians or Guatemalans or Mexicans, I would be suing the shit off of her. She's published enough shit books that enough shit cunts have bought. She got some cash. Go get it. Sue her. Sue her into fucking bankruptcy. Because that's what I hope for Alex Jones. I hope the parents of Sandy Hook do a do a Hulk Hogan with Gawker Media on him. That's what I hope. I hope they take everything. I hope they make him bankrupt. Because he's nothing more than a provocateur and an asshole. Do you see the video of him harassing Bernie Sanders in the airport? Like a common fucking idiot. Like, it was harassing him. It was harassing him. Up in his face with a camera with his phone on camera recording him. I mean, he's just a worthless piece of shit. And at the end of the day, all Alex Jones is trying to do is sell ads. Just listen to one of his shows. I, I challenge you to listen to one of Alex Jones's show. And if you can't, I get it. Skip to the end. Where he's selling you survival gear and essential oils 
and supplements and vitamins and things like that that you need to you need to know about you need to take and he's got the medical um he's got the medical evidence and the studies that show that this is what you need and this is what they're hiding from you but he's got it that's all alex jones is doing he's trying to sell you products he knows who his audience are and he's trying to flog them bullshit and he's doing it spectacularly so i hope the parents of sandy hook um, victims, the children of Sandy Hook. I hope the parents of that massacre massacre this guy in court. And I hope they rip him limb from limb financially. Because we don't need people like that. Again, I'm all for free speech. Say what you want. Think what you want. But be prepared for the consequences of that. Because if you go too far and you're fucking liar, like he is and like Ann Coulter is, you deserved, you deserve to be punished for that. Freedom of speech, man. Freedom of speech. You're entitled to say what you want. But you have to be prepared for the consequences. And the consequences are speak the truth, not just your truth, because if your truth happens to be a fucking out and out lie, there are consequences to that. That's the beauty of freedom of speech. You can talk all day and give yourself enough rope to hang yourself with. And that's what's happening here. So to Alex Jones, fuck you. To Ann Coulter, fuck you. I hope that both of you are bankrupt by the end of the year. And if you align with them too, then fuck you too. Because there's no space for this kind of garbage thinking when we're faced with some of the crises we're faced with now. So if you align that way, fuck you, right? No time for you. And... Uh, History will decide whether you were on the right or the wrong side of it. Um, it's about being fucking decent, right? Be decent. That's what we need to do. We need to have people acting decently. Cool. So we all good on that, yeah? So the last thing, and then we're going to get the fuck out of here because uh, we're just over an hour, is about conducting oneself in public. <laughs> And how we're losing our minds. We're losing our collective minds with the onset of further involvement with technology, right? And that's just a really, really nice way of me saying that people are too invested in their mobile phones. And the particular habit that I want to just mention that people need to be aware of more acutely is staring into their cell phones whilst walking through the streets or through specifically, in my case, the underground, the London Underground, the subway. Like it's busy down there at the slowest times. When it's busy down there in the busy times, it's a fucking nightmare. You're trying to get where you're going and you're trying to do it in an effective and efficient way. We've mentioned effective and efficient a couple of times today. I might call this episode effective and efficient. So there's an effective and efficient way of moving through the underground. You get to point A, 
from point A to point B, you get on your train, you get to the next fucking place, and then you get the fuck out of there, right? I don't understand why people would want to take more time down there by walking at a snail's pace while they're staring at their phone watching their favorite episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. It is absolutely infuriating. It's infuriating not because, you know, I want to get to where I'm going, but it's infuriating because those people are oblivious and so self-centered and so wrapped up in their own bullshit that they don't give a fuck about the general order of things and the general consideration that they might want to give to their fellow travelers and their fellow citizens. They're more interested in watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine or some other stupid fucking TV show that could be DVR'd at home and does not need to be watched while you're walking through rush hour traffic. So I think as a precedent, you should not have to avoid these people. I think it the onus is on them to avoid you. And if they don't, because if I'm walking past you and you're walking past me and we're both not engaged in the screens of our phone, we're gonna know when a collision is bound to occur. That raises a different point, but if you, the likelihood of us bumping into each other is minimized to a very, very high degree if we're both not engaged in looking at our cell phones while we're walking through rush hour traffic on a subway, right? If one of us is looking down at our cell phone and the other one of us, and the other of us is completely aware of what's going on, is the onus on me to avoid you and possibly bump into somebody else and start causing a zigzag type of pattern as I'm walking because then I'm off course and I'm in the other person's lane, et cetera, et cetera? Or is it on the person staring at their phone to stop, to look up, and to be aware of their surroundings and act accordingly in those surroundings? I would argue it is on the person who is looking down on the phone. They clearly don't think something is wrong with that behavior. They clearly don't give a fuck about walking into somebody else. They clearly don't give a fuck about any other person's time or, you know, schedule or anything like that because they're walking at a snail's pace because you you can't walk fast and watch a TV show on your cell phone at the same time. It doesn't compute. You need to put more brain power into one of those activities than the other. So if you're watching something on your phone intently, you're going to be walking a lot slower than you would be if you weren't. So why is the onus on me? Why is it not sociably acceptable for me to walk straight into you and demand an apology? Because it's an ever-growing number of people. So why should I have to play my trip to the underground or my travel as a game of dodging and weaving? amongst the people who can't be bothered to look up from their phone. I don't think the onus should be on me. I think actually there should be an allowance given to run into people or to say, hey, watch where you're going. Move out of the way. The social conduct is on the person, the onus of the, per, uh, of the, of the social conduct is on the person that is not adhering to that conduct, right? There's, it's just unspoken rules. You don't, you, you just shouldn't do that. It's like I was talking about before, right? Don't clip your toenails on the underground, okay? Don't do that. Don't think it's your fucking underground 
and you can take your shoes off while the train is in motion and just fucking relax. That's not on. Neither is looking at your cell phone, watching a TV show, walking through the underground, or busy traffic, or anything, whilst it's busy, whilst there's other people involved, watch TV at your house. Watch TV at home. Hey, you got nothing else to do with your life than watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine? You got to catch up on Brooklyn Nine-Nine that bad? Guess what? It was just like the last episode. Everything's fine. And it's a TV show. Plus, it's shit. Sort your life out. I don't think we should be giving concessions for ignorant, selfish behavior. I don't think so. I don't think we should. Now, I'm not saying we should assault people. I'm not saying we should assault people. I'm saying people need to be checked occasionally into the right behavior. Right? Am I wrong on this? Should I be ducking and weaving these fucking idiots? I don't think I should. And I think it's going to come to the point where as they keep upgrading these uh, tube stations, they're going to have to put like a cell phone line, like it, like you have a bike lane on the roads. I think they're going to need like a cell phone line, a cell phone lane where these idiots can just stroll along like the fucking zombies they're becoming and walk at their own pace amongst the living dead that they are. Because I'm telling you right now, if you're spending your time watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine on your iPhone whilst you're traveling through the underground, I question how good things are going. If you're sitting down on the tube, watch all the shit you want. I don't give a fuck. When you're walking and conducting your behavior and walking amongst other people in heavy, heavy traffic, there are unspoken rules to adhere to. Don't be an ignorant, selfish cunt looking at your fucking phone, oblivious to what's going on around you. There are other people in this city trying to get where they need to go, and you are a nuisance. So FYI, bulletin to everybody out there that thinks it's more important to look at your phone than watch where you're going, in particularly high traffic areas, wake the fuck up. So on that note, we're going to check out. We're going to we're going to end episode 40. Should call that the boom boom boom, the little moral hour. <laughs> check your morals or some shit like that. Um, right, we're going to we're going to get out of here. Um, this is episode 40. We're rolling. We're fucking rolling. Now, I don't think I'm going to be back until next week. But I believe, and I haven't checked the calendar, but I believe we've got a very big UFC next weekend. Not this weekend coming up, next weekend. I believe we have Stipe and Daniel Cormier. So for all the UFC listeners out there, watchers out there, fans out there, we'll be definitely doing a preview of that event uh, at some point next week. And I imagine that around Tuesday of next week, we may do another one of these. So we might do episode 41 and 42 next week, but we'll see how the schedule shapes up. The boy's been super busy at work um, and we've had a lot of shit on. So I haven't been able to jump on the mic um, when I wanted to, but we're coming back 
trying to check the schedule, trying to get things in line, trying to organize the diary and keep pumping them out for you guys. So thanks for listening. We're checking out episode 40. This is The Quiet Part Loud. I'm your host, as always. My name's Daryl, and it's been a pleasure. Until next time, guys, all the best.